0: Radio Influence You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence Welcome ladies and gentlemen to another edition of City Ringside My name is David Penzer As always we are so happy that you are here once again this week To listen to this thing We call a podcast, and uh, what's everybody talking about? What's the buzz? The buzz is double or nothing, and we're still talking about it. People are still buzzing about it. I have to eat total crow because I told anyone who would listen that uh, Dustin versus Cody uh, was a mistake because brother versus brother, tag team partner versus tag team partner never gets over. And historically, they never did. Ricky Morton versus Robert Gibson, even Cody versus Dustin uh, at WrestleMania uh, uh, wasn't a big deal. Rick Steiner versus Scott Steiner. Uh, none of that stuff ever really gets over. I, I don't exactly know why. I think it's the people like the, the camaraderie of the teams and the the family, and they don't want to see them fighting. Maybe it's just inbred in us because you know people that are raised uh, you know in a family situation, I, I don't know. The psychology behind it, it's just never worked in the past, and Lots of years, but darn it, it worked this time. What a match and what a gotta give Dustin uh, huge credit and we're working to get him on the podcast talk about his career uh I remember when I broke in, Dustin was on the road with w c w the natural dustin Rhodes. and uh so probably the first house show I ever did uh Brandy Anderson, who was my driving buddy to we went out to a uh country western bar afterwards and hung out with Dustin and some of the other guys. Uh, so never forget that. And uh, but, but what a great job they, that, those guys did the pay-per-view. Uh, Got to give it a uh, thumbs up. Um, great performance is a uh, little bit of everything, a little bit of blood, a little bit of brawling, a little bit of lucha, a little bit of Japanese women, a little bit of Chinese-style, new uh, SEMA-style wrestling a uh, little comedy in the battle royal so something for everybody a little nitro-esque if you might say uh of course uh, the formerly known as dean ambrose uh debuted uh had a little birdie who told me that uh, a couple of about a month ago and i couldn't say anything but i think i hinted to it but when you do a podcast every week and you know something like that and you want to spill the beans and get the scoop but uh You know, there's a reason people trust you to tell you that kind of stuff because they know you're not going to. But uh, it was still a cool surprise. I didn't know for sure. I had just been told, Uh, and things could change up until the last minute. So that was cool. And uh, a ton of buzz around uh, John Moxley right now and uh, his jumping and what will happen in the future. WWE's not going anywhere, folks. Uh, You know, my kids. You know, as you're young, you know, and and you know, you read all the positive stuff about. AEW and the negative stuff about d- WWE and people are unhappy there. I lived it. I lived the same thing. Uh, we thought WWE was going out of business in 1997. Uh, we were told uh, that they couldn't even afford the water cooler bottles. Uh, they had to, and that's a, you know, it's a subscription service where they put the the water coolers in, and they bring those big old jugs and and. You, either come out hot or cold for coffee or tea or cold for water and so you know I, I was there i was there when they were closing shop but you know what we ended up closing shop three and a half years later and they're still rocking and rolling and going strong so um uh I'm, the best thing for this business is competition and they between new japan pro wrestling and all elite wrestling to a lesser extent, Ring of Honor, and to a lesser extent, to that impact, which I still think could find their niche if they could ever get on a network where they get have some exposure. Um, competition is is great. Not to mention pro wrestling Guerrilla out in L.A. and and all the the niche little companies that are, are running and uh, the Starcast conventions of the world, Legends of the Ring. It's just a it's a great time to be in the wrestling business, and it's exciting. It reminds me a little bit back uh in the monday night wars and nobody gave us a shot but uh sometimes right place right time right mix right combination uh and uh they got a shot so we'll see uh they still have to produce two hours of weekly episodic television which is not easy uh i don't doubt that they could do it uh but you know after the the six month mark you know it it, it tends to be a bit difficult you got to Get new talent. You gotta uh, plan long term. So I'm not I'm not being negative, Nelly, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they could have every opportunity to go on and become a huge player in this business, but uh, but there's a lot of things that they have to do uh, besides one fantastic pay per view uh, to to get to that level. And I'm rooting for them as I root for everybody in this business for the most part. Uh, speaking of all elite wrestling, uh, definitely wanted to get on uh, a guest who was there. And uh, we have a man, an old friend of mine, uh, known in more than 30 years, uh, who called the action along with JR and uh, Excalibur, I'm talking about Alex Marvez, getting to live two dreams in one life. I got to live one dream, and I consider myself pretty damn lucky, get to get to live two dreams. Uh, he, he goes from the uh, stage of the NFL Hall of Fame uh, as a journalist to uh, the perch in Uh, Las Vegas, Nevada and the MGM Grand Garden Arena along with JR and Excalibur to call the first ever AEW pay-per-view and uh, we're going to talk to him about that experience about his friendship with Tony Khan the owner of All Elite Wrestling we're going to talk about uh, uh, when he knew that All Elite was uh, really happening and uh, what he feels about some of the criticism because we live in a world where you know, there's part of me that uh, because I'm sort of self-conscious about what I do. Uh, So there's there's part of me that, you know, wonders how I would have reacted if there was uh, uh, Facebook and especially Twitter uh, back in the day, you know, when I was on live television uh, every week and many, sometimes more than once a week. And, you know, God, what they would have skewered me about. So, uh, you know, he's gotten mixed reviews. It's not, folks, I'm just going to tell you, it's probably one of the hardest jobs in the, in the not taking anything away from the wrestlers and what they do. What the wrestlers do athletically is one of the toughest things uh, in, in athletics uh, and especially doing it as often as they do it. Uh, but but when it comes to uh, calling a wrestling show, doing color commentary, some of the greatest interviews, some of the greatest promo guys in the history of this business have tried to convert to doing color commentary. And they, they, they just, they can't do it. It's a totally different animal. Uh, I can't even imagine being out there uh, for three plus, four plus hours uh, and never having done it before, knowing that this is your only opportunity. Uh, you know, I did a tryout in Macon, Georgia uh, for WCW. And, you know, I knew, kind of knew I had been telling people, Hey, I can ring an ounce. And if I didn't get that gig, uh, my dream was, was, was done before it started. And, but it wasn't on live television and it wasn't in front of, you know, 25,000 people or 20,000 people, 15,000 people, however many, and on such a big platform. So uh, I was very impressed by Alex's uh, performance for his uh, first time ever. And it seems like he's taking like a Mike Tenay type role. Never want to compare anybody to anybody else, but general type Mike Tenay type Nitro role uh, giving a little history about the guys, uh, how they got involved in wrestling, uh, you know, a little backstory on, on stuff. So, um, but, uh, got to eat the crow on the, uh, on the Dustin versus, uh, Cody and fantastic match. And, uh, Dusty would be, uh, the happiest man in the world. It's, it's the only thing that would be better than, than Saturday would have been Dusty being able to be back there and, uh, He'd have had tears in his eyes for sure. I'll never forget my favorite Dusty promos. Uh, I don't need a handshake. I don't need a contract. All I need is a hug and a kiss to seal the deal, baby. Uh, That was him uh, asking Dustin to be his partner at Clash of the Champions against Arn Anderson and Terry Funk. If you have not seen that promo, I suggest you seek it out. It is, uh, in my opinion, better than Hard Times, better than some of the more famous Dusty promos because it came from the heart. Not that Hard Times didn't come from the heart, but this is family. And uh, and you felt that emotion at the end of uh, the end of that match uh, when uh, when Dustin uh, asked when Cody asked Dustin to be his tag team partner and there's part of me and uh, if, if and when we could get Dustin on we'll definitely ask him. i uh, thinking about going up to Jacksonville for that uh, for that event in July and uh, covering it for the show and uh, maybe getting a little press availability so to speak. So we'll uh we'll we'll try to see if we can make that happen but uh and maybe I'll get to ask Cody if there was if there was anything in his mind about that promo uh all I need is a hug and a kiss to seal the deal baby uh that went into the promo that they had which puts together their match as a team against the Young Bucks at that very Jacksonville show uh so um it, it should be interesting and uh we will continue to follow all elite wrestling uh, along with the entire wrestling business. And uh, things are just getting interesting, folks. Things are just getting started. But lots of people say, oh, it's the beginning of the end. It's not the beginning of the end of anything. It's the beginning of the beginning. So strap on your seatbelt. Uh, things are about to, as, as JR would say, business is about to pick up in the professional wrestling sports entertainment world. That is for sure. So let me bring on the man who, along with Jim Ross and Excalibur, called that. Tremendous pay-per-view, Double or Nothing. Uh, we could go Saturday, uh, first time ever. And interesting to get his take on the situation. Uh, my old friend, the one and only Alex Marvez. All right, as we talked about earlier, all the buzz is with AEW All Elite Wrestling coming off of Double or Nothing, a show I enjoyed tremendously. And um, one of the men who called Double or Nothing... A long time friend and a man. You know, it's, it's funny. I like to say this. Uh, most people don't get a chance to live their dream. I got to live my dream and, and I, I feel blessed every day. This guy, Alex, you, you're getting a chance to live like both of your dreams. It's pretty cool. And, uh, so, uh, congratulations. And, uh, let's talk about all elite wrestling and your journey there and also a little bit about your, uh, other career, which is, uh, NFL, uh, journalist. Please welcome uh broadcaster from AEW, uh, fresh off of all, not, Double or Nothing, the one and only Alex Marvez.
1: Dave, good to hear your voice, uh, obviously. You know, I mean, I miss it in the ring, of course, so when you're projecting as a ring announcer, but you sound pretty darn good right here on your podcast, which is a much to listen to, by the way, for all wrestling fans. As well, we all know, and you're absolutely right. I mean, look, you knew me. It's coming up on 30 years now, more hey, which than, is a remarkable More than trend. that.
0: More than that, because... Because when we were like 18 or 19 years old, we used to walk around and put up posters for the Global Wrestling Alliance. And I'm 53, so it's been more than 30 years.
1: Isn't that scary? I, I mean, it's unbelievable how that happened. And, you know, you think about people along the way. One of them with the Global Wrestling Alliance, it was Dave, or Dean Malenko, right? Sure. The Malenko brothers. Oh, and now sure you're enough, back. I know. You guys are reunited. Yeah. I, I know. It, it's crazy. So here we are 30-something years later, and Dean Malenko, now a coach, at All Elite Wrestling, and, you know, it's incredible to see him again, one of the funniest people I've ever met in the wrestling business, but you're absolutely right. And, and, Dave, listen, you've you've known me for a long time, and, uh, you know, while... You know, listen, when you're younger, you think, oh, wow, what if I got involved in the wrestling industry, you know, was paid for, you know, by a company for your services, right? And But but in my wildest dreams, I never thought that I'd be channeling my inner Gordon solely, or at least attempting to, and trying to announce, you know, for a major pro wrestling company. But that's exactly what's happened. I work for Sirius XM, NFL Radio as well, and a lot of folks may may or may not know me from there, but I've, I've covered the NFL for 25 years now. I've been on SiriusXM, you know, for more than a decade, and, and you know I'm on every Monday through Thursday night on late hits, uh, you know, seven to eleven Eastern time during the off season, and work six days a week on there. I'm pretty much always on the radio. But when I had an opportunity to work for All Elite Wrestling, to, you know, I couldn't say no, Dave, because it is very daunting. This is not something that. I've ever done before at any level. It's funny because I was asked, uh, you know, by Cody a while ago. He said, "Have you ever called pro wrestling?" And I and I said no, but then I remembered back in 1991, I drove from Gainesville, Florida, to Haines City to help Henry Rains call a Suncoast Pro Wrestling show. <laughs> uh, you know, back back then, you know, of Penelope Paradise and things like that. And, you know, Steve, the party animal Collins and some of the names from that, that company. But, you know, and that wasn't even really, you know, wrestling commentary anywhere near the level, obviously, of what all elite provided. But I do have broadcasting experience, I, you know, and, and I, they, I listen, I got dropped into the deep water and I did, I did my best not only to try to tread, but also to try to swim and help our broadcast team of Jim Ross and, and Excalibur, who obviously hit it out of the park with their work.
0: I thought y'all did a great job. Does Haines City count? Nothing against the people in Haynes City. I don't know if that counts. I did a, uh, it. Was a, right. I, <laughs> I I ring announced the show in, uh ring announced, ring announced, in uh, Auburndale a couple nights ago, and uh I'm still wondering if that counts on as, as a city that I've been to because uh no, I'm just kidding. I'm being sarcastic. Love you, Auburndale. It was a great time. Had a great had a blast. Uh so let's go back to the beginning, not not to, to the beginning of... Well, let's go back to the beginning of your career. Uh, you wanted to be a journalist. Uh, did you always want to be an uh, uh, NFL journalist, or did you kind of just fall in that as a football fan? Yeah, uh, you know, I, f- I fell into it a bit. I, I mean, but and there's an interesting pro
1: wrestling tie into all this. You know, I began taking a high school football scores at the Miami Herald when I was a junior. Uh, in high school. And and I worked six days a week at the Herald while also trying to play high school football and not doing very well at it in particular. Um, But, you know, you would would work sometimes inside the newspaper and you would answer phone calls from people. And what this led to was, you know, being around the office all the time. And I'm one of those people that, look, my life, when, when I had a chance to work at the Miami Herald, I knew pretty early on in life, I'd love to be a reporter. But when you have a chance to work in the sports department of the Miami Herald, sometimes I would just show up you know what i mean like that was how
0: i was with global wrestling alliance once i got that in i would be there every night uh talking to larry malenko talking to bob roop uh watching the trainees i mean you know just uh soak it all in as much as you can
1: right you know i mean and and so you're around it and people know you're passionate about it so they knew i was passionate about newspapers and this leads into my tie to pro wrestling you know listen I was a fan, like, much like you, Dave, five, six years old. You start watching TV, you know, and back then it was pre WWF. It was a uh, WWF, right? Back yes. when now, we were watching. But I, growing up in South Florida, it was, you know, Gordon Soli and Championship Wrestling from Florida. And, and Dave, I'm mesmerized by this stuff. And to this day, you know, you're part of the same Facebook group that I'm in, the Championship Wrestling from Florida memories. And it always every day helps me. It puts a smile on my face to take me back in time where these guys were my heroes and my idols. And it was it was really interesting that this whole journey started because of that. I'm at the Miami Beach Convention Center. It's 1987 and I'm waiting for a show. And this was toward the end of the territories. You remember, you know, uh, the Florida office was just taking a beating. So much talent was getting raided. And, you know, they had in a bruiser Brody against the original Sheik.
0: I was there.
1: So perfect. So you so you get this right. So I'm waiting to get in. And it ends up that I meet a guy and we're just talking, you know, he's he's an older guy and I'm like, man, I love this in pro wrestling. And I, and I'm just, just blah 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 Right. And the guy says, look, I think there's something out there that you would really love to get. And you, you know, it costs money. It's $6 for four issues, but here's the address to the wrestling observer newsletter. I recommend you give it a shot.
0: So I send, here we go. Here we go. I knew we couldn't avoid this.
1: Well, no, we can't, and I, I'll bring up that other part to it later. We'll, we'll, we'll come full circle. But my point of this was I, my first issue was March 2nd, 1987, and I still have it. In fact, Dave, I have every observer from 1987 on. They're right now next to a ladder uh, in near our attic, and they are going to be getting put up there. But I have every issue since then. And when I first read this thing, David, it's like a gateway to another universe, Yep. right? It, it was, it was like, oh my God, how did this happen? How do they know? What is this? And, and I became even more addicted to wrestling as I learned how it worked. Now, cue the Global Wrestling Alliance, which is where obviously you were up, you, you lived north of me in, in the Broward County area. I lived in South Florida, Miami-Dade. But as you know, I tried to you know, parlay my experience as a pro wrestling, you know, as an aspiring journalist into pro wrestling. So I got the address to Global, I called, I said, hey, can we do a story? And that opened me up to, to meet Bob Roop, to meet Dr. Red Robert, a.k.a. Larry, Larry Bannon, you know, that group of guys. And it was like, wow. And I met you. I, I met, you know, and, and, you know, Norman Smiley and people like this. And, it, you know, I started to be able to write about it and gain a knowledge of the wrestling industry. And that, to me, was just so incredible. And as you know, Bruce Owens, uh, the longtime referee in South Florida, I, you know, Bruce, my buddy, and I would go heckle him. At the matches, right? And, you know, but, but positively, you know what I mean? We'd be cheering Bruce. Positive section. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was more of a, an affirmation of his hard work and determination, although he still had a hard time, you know, sometimes, you know, detecting chicanery in the ring by the heels. I digress, but he opened up a door for me as well, taught me how it, things worked in and out of the wrestling business. I became addicted to it. The Miami Herald, you know, did a reader survey at the same time, 1989, and they asked readers, what do you want to read more of? And they said pro wrestling. So we started writing this column, and it was one of the first K-fabe newspaper columns out there in terms of I was listing wrestlers' real names. I was giving match results. I was doing a bunch of things that were avant-garde at the time, and it became so popular. It went from a feature that they planned to run every two weeks to every week. And I continued writing that wrestling column all the way until 2012 when I became what we now call – the lapsed fan in other words i'm not a wwe guy dave I, i'm not a fan of the mcmahon family i admit it i'm just not I, I don't support the product i don't subscribe to the network i don't watch raw i don't watch smackdown i don't even watch nxt even though i know there's a lot of great wrestlers there i just don't want to support anything to have to do with the mcmahon's i'm just very candid with you i'm not a fan of them as human beings so that being said you know i i just lost interest in wrestling but you know thanks to tony khan who again my worlds collide you know, his family buys the Jacksonville Jaguars. He introduces himself to me. He's like, Hey, I read you growing up uh, you know, and I know your ties to wrestling. So obviously we had ties with football, but then we continued to build a friendship from there, you know, and, and a real strong friendship, uh, you know, outside of uh, both of our worlds, but pro wrestling came back in. He's like, look, I know you're not into the product today, but you know, why don't you watch a little new Japan and tell me what you think. And Dave, sure enough, I put on access TV one night. This was about, I don't know, 2016 or so. And, I see this guy wearing Michael Jackson pants, you know, the red pants and a black leather jacket, and and he's got his hair sort of shaved on one side and he is shimmying on his way to the ring. And I'm like, what the heck is this? But I can just sense the charisma this guy has. It's Shinsuke Nakamura. And it's Shinsuke Nakamura against Hiroshi Tanahashi. That was what was airing on Access. And I'm like, you know what? This is great. This is really great. If this is what pro wrestling is like nowadays outside of WWE, I can maybe get back into this. Start watching it. Start getting back into it. Tony, Tony and I get together in 2017 in Los Angeles. We attend the first uh, New Japan show held on U.S. soil. It was very special for both of us. You can even see us on the broadcast in the front row, uh, cheering everything going on. We went both nights. Had an incredible time. Got to bond, hang out, etc. And down the line, Tony said, "I'm going to be starting a wrestling company, and I want you as my announcer." And I, I, look, you get an offer like that, you're not turning it down, right? But Tony's not doing this because I'm his buddy, because Tony has a lot of friends, and he's not giving them all jobs. Tony believes that in time, as I continue to, to perfect trying to become a pro wrestling announcer, that I can add a lot to the product, that I can help enhance the experience of watching all elite wrestling, and that my sports background really comes in handy in my broadcasting background. It's not the traditional pro wrestling style that I, I bring to the table. And I'm not sure how much of that I ever will, but I do bring a pro a pro sports style to the product and what all elite wrestling is trying to do beside appeal to you know the fan base that it has now is to expand you know we are listed as a sporting product you know by tnt our network partner we're listed as sport by itv in the uk and hopefully we can strike a long term deal with them so we want to incorporate things where wins and losses matter where there's more of of a real feel athletic presentation in our announcing, trying to bring back some fans and while still, you know, giving a tip of the cap to the, to the hardcore already all elite fans that are out there. And I believe and Tony believes and I believe and thankfully Jim Ross and Excalibur and Cody and people in the organization believe that ultimately we can continue to provide that as I grow in the position that I've been, that I've, I've gotten. I feel like I've earned it in terms of all the work I've put in outside of professional wrestling and my passion for the industry, but I'll be the first to tell you I, I've got universes to grow, continue to grow as an announcer moving ahead.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's a difficult, you know, I did it a little bit. I don't know if you know this, but in WCW uh, for a while, uh, Dusty, actually, of all people, was grooming me to, uh, to do play-by-play. And so this would have been probably 97, 98, and I would go in the studio and I would do um, European Monday night shows. So the European feeder was a week behind. So I used the name Dave Lawrence. That's my middle name. I was pitching to myself. Because I I was the ring announcer from the week before. And Larry Zabisco, Larry Zabisco was the color commentator. And I mean, this was totally different than a live pay per view. I mean, we were in the studio. We could have stopped if we screwed up. Uh, You know, there was really not a lot of pressure. And it's hard. And Larry, Larry uh, carried me to this day. I'll never forget. We did it for about three months and he carried me. And I, you know, I got a little bit better as it went on. I'm not saying I couldn't have done it, but it's a whole different animal. Some of the best promo guys in the in the business can't transition to to uh, to announcing wrestling you know art anderson one of the funniest guys uh one of the best storytellers one of the best promos in the history of the business tried to do uh color commentary and just it just didn't work out you know dean malenko as you mentioned one of the funniest guys you ever meet but it doesn't translate uh you know when he when he tried to do uh commentary so it's 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 a daunting task and for your first well, time, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned it, and, and
1: let me just—I don't—I don't mean to interrupt, but actually, I do. But, but my point though is that it's interesting you say it because, like, my role is not to do play-by-play, play though, right? You know what I mean? Like that's the, the thing about it. I, I've got Jim Ross, the greatest you know pro wrestling announcer in history, right? And I've got Excalibur. who who has been there and done that. Not only has he wrestled, but, you know, he's the guy who's one of the the co-owners of Pro Wrestling Guerrilla. I mean, so PWG, which is, you know, the training ground for all of this incredible talent that's starring today, including the Young Bucks, nobody has called more Young Bucks matches than Excalibur. So in a way, I'm sort of walking a fine line. I want to contribute, but I want to enhance what it is that they're doing. And that's where I think we'll get that continuity going you know, as far as uh, you know, moving ahead in the future because I want to emphasize their strengths. My strength's not going to be calling a match. I can't do it anywhere near the level of these guys. I don't know if I ever could. But what I can do is set them up or tell the fans something that they may not know or help the talent try to look better or get across a storyline or pitch when our next event is coming up, I can do those things. And we'll continue to get better as we each find our lane, so to speak. That's the one thing that, that I think as the pay-per-view went on, Dave, and now you can lavish me with praise about a man (laughs) thrown out into the ocean calling his first show four hours and 45 minutes no restroom break no chance to catch your breath you know got Keith Mitchell in my ear I got stuff happening in the ring you know all of these things that are going on um you know that happened but I'm I'm proud of what we did but I know too we can continue to get better as we move ahead
0: yeah I think you guys did a great job and and uh, is there a reason Excalibur doesn't just take off the hood at this point since he's in a major wrestling company? Some, I, I don't really care. It doesn't, doesn't make a difference in my life. It didn't bother me. But there's so many people on so, God, social media. There's so many hey, that's, people.
1: That's, that's the thing. I, you know what? There's a thing I do. It's mute, mute, block, 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 mute, 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 mute. You know, I can come up with different songs to, to you know, get away from the negativity of it. When you see Excalibur, he was on camera for a four-hour, 45-minute show for what do we figure here? 90 seconds to two minutes and after a while you just forget you know he feels more comfortable i think wearing a mask you you know you'll have to ask him exactly why the origins of that etc but uh, you know why he wears it i don't know but the thing is that it doesn't really affect his commentary and i think that's ultimately what you know at the end of the day you know what as each day goes back right you get the the micro criticism of the show and not everybody is going to be happy with everything, right? Look, people, and I was told this going in, Kevin Kelly, who I think does an unbelievable job for new Japan. I'm, I'm, you know, a huge Kevin Kelly fan. And I, I mean, I marvel at him because Dave, I don't know if you're aware of just how difficult his job is, you know, calling night after night, after night, two and a half, three hours at a time, traveling on a bus from show to show in Japan in a foreign country. Right. And not having a studio like he doesn't, he does his own production. There's nobody in his ear telling him, hey, there's a video package coming up. All of those things. Like, he does all of this on his own. You know, and people hated him when he began with New Japan Wrestling because, you know, he wasn't Mara Ronaldo. I, I get that. But what, my point with all this is the micro-criticism that comes with social media. As each day passes, that's fading. And instead, you're still having the glow of Cody against Dustin. You're still having the glow of Kenny uh, against Chris and and John Moxley showing up at the the end of it and the Young Bucks against Los Lucha Brothers. I mean, that's what people are remembering more rather than the little minutia of, oh, this guy wore a mask or Jim Ross has a hat or, you know, Marvez has bad timing. I mean, those things are like, you know, you just have to let it go. And listen, you're going to get criticized no matter what. You got to be you got to be thick skinned about it. And you also just have to know who are the opinions that you respect. I've asked people. You know, what are the things that I can do better on the next broadcast? I want to learn from people in the industry whose opinions I respect. And I'm not knocking the fan base or anything like that, but I can't let my emotions and my feelings and my announcing be affected by people who may just hate no matter what. You know, know, Bully Ray Dudley had an interesting comment on Busted Open Radio on Sirius XM about, you know, all the negativity toward Raw sometimes. And he called it hate watching. And I think he makes a great point. It's like you go into the show and you're expecting to hate it. So something comes up that you, know, you don't like, and then you just go off on the show altogether. Listen, social media has made everyone an armchair critic. I get it. I- I'm interested in pleasing my bosses. I'm interested in helping the wrestlers tell their stories, and in some ways just making sure that my announcing doesn't get in the way of a great match. The last thing I want to hear is, well, Jericho and Omega was awesome, but... JR and Excalibur and Marvez—they—they they just they, they ruined it for me with what they were saying. No, and I think because of Jim and Excalibur, I think you know predominantly, and, and my contributions, which I'm I'm proud of, I think we made to help make those matches memorable throughout. And I think that the the announcing didn't detract from anything going on in the ring, which is really our goal is to enhance the product.
0: I was going to ask you this a little later, but it's sort of topical now since you bring it up. Uh, is, do you think it's kind of ironic you were a football critic for most of your life and? And I'm sure, as a football critic, you know you you have to give your opinions uh, uh, as a football cr- journalist on different players. Uh, you know why this guy isn't having a good year. Why this guy may you know the first round draft pick may not make it in the NFL. And and I'm sure that there's that you know those particular players out there are like you know who the hell is this guy? He doesn't play he doesn't play football at this level. What you know what, what 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 does he know? And and so do you find it like kind of ironic now that. Uh, that after so many years of being a critic now you're the one uh you know taking the criticism so to speak oh absolutely and again not all of it was criticism i do want to point well, out no no i know i i, you know I texted I mean? yeah. you i texted you and said i even before we thought about putting you on this week uh, i texted you i had a different guest lined up but i changed things cuz uh you know you guys are, are so in the news i really wanted to to talk to somebody and i thought the, the obvious person was you cuz we've known each other for so long and your journey's kind of uh uh Uh, cool, but, uh, you're right
1: about it. And listen, I agree with you because, listen, until you do it, and, you know, it's funny because everyone knocks the WWE announcing team, right? You know how hard it is for those guys? Like, Keith Mitchell was in in our ear a bit saying, okay, we're going to move something around or, listen, throw to this promo or or things like that. And he's, I mean, as you know, he's one of the great producers, you know, in pro wrestling history. I think he's unbelievable. And, you know, his, his experience, I get that. But could you imagine Vince McMahon? yelling at you to just to micromanage the way that these announcers are and the pressure that they're under and, you know, doing it week after week for three hours on a Monday night and just how exhausting that situation is. I mean, you do earn a a completely new respect for people in the position. It is not easy to get done. And and I agree with you. I think too, as you get older, you know, Dave, you you know, one of the things that social media does, it it dehumanizes you. People forget you're, you're not perfect. People make mistakes. How do you respond to those mistakes. If you keep making them well, that, that's not so good. Right. And, and then maybe you're, you need to find another job, you know, especially when you're in the public spotlight, or, you know, maybe you're not going to advance to the places where you want to get to, I get it. But to me, that comes with the territory. I mean, you sign up for it. You're a public figure, much like people want to criticize, you know, the president, much like people want to criticize others. They've never done it, you know, and, and that's how it is. So I, I think in, in recent years, I've really ratcheted back to try to keep things, you know, just, you know, objective, And I am paid to cast a critical eye upon things at times. Now that I'm a full-time broadcaster, I'm not doing as much writing. It's a little bit different. But I am more understanding as I get older that there are people that are human. They make mistakes. You try to rebound from it, and you go from there.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Father's Day is right around the corner. And for cool, comfortable dress shirts for you, your dad, or both of you, visit our friends at Twillery. Shirts shouldn't wrinkle, itch, or sweat in 2019, and Twillery makes stocking up your closet as simple as restocking beer in your fridge. Easy, affordable, and the perfect fit guaranteed. They offer non-iron, untuckable, and performance dress shirts for as low as $55 each when you bundle four or more. With free shipping and returns, you could try on some Twills, risk-free, and after all, feeling is believing... Smart, casual dress just got smarter and cheaper. Twillery brings performance work shirts to the next level with four-way stretch material that shuts down wrinkles, stops sweat, and keeps you looking good and feeling cool. For as low as $55 a shirt when you bundle four or more, and free shipping and returns, it's top value in smart workwear. Grab them at twillery.com slash ringside. In just a minute, we're going to tell you why. But first, let me tell you a little bit about their story. Twillery is built on a century-old manufacturing business. They still make millions of shirts a year for leading brands and leverage those contacts and their team's technical know-how to keep costs down while maintaining their high standards in quality and craftsmanship. Their shopping bundle models give guys access to shirts that their competitors are selling for $100 plus for only $55 per shirt. We mentioned free shipping and returns, and you get free brushed nickel collar stays included with each shirt. There's beautiful packaging, stellar customer support, and even a pre-printed return label in every box for every order you get. Now, if you go to twillery.com slash ringside, that's dot com slash ringside, you could use that promo code ringside for $25 off your first order. And really cool for Father's Day for a limited time Father's Day special. Enjoy a free set of bottle opener collar stays. Only valid until June 16th, but you'll be the coolest guy at the bar. Go to twillery.com slash ringside for $25 off. That's twillery.com slash ringside. That's twillery.com slash ringside. $25 off your first order. And until June 16th, enjoy a Father's Day special. Free set of bottle opener. Collar stays just for you. That's twillery, dot com slash ringside. How was it working with Keith Mitchell? I've worked with Keith Mitchell almost my entire career in WCW and TNA. And, uh, that's actually the one part about not being in Las Vegas, uh, was I miss, uh, you know, I would have loved to have been working with Keith Mitchell again. That was, I was texting him, uh, during the, uh, uh, Dusty, uh, the Dustin Cody match. And I said, how happy would, would, would Dusty be right now? And he, he texted me back a little bit later and he said, you know, really happy, and I said, "Well, have a uh, toast to him at uh, RRP, which is Red River Pete, where he sets up a uh, his own little bar wherever uh, he is on the road, outdoors, plays a little music, has a few drinks, and smokes a cigar." See, now I gave it all away, Keith. I'm sorry, but uh, I said, "When you're at uh, Red River Pete's tonight, uh, toast Dusty. I will as well. Miss you." And you know, that was you know, it wasn't like, "Oh God, I miss the wrestling business, or I wish I was in Las Vegas, you know, so I could gamble, or or." You know, it was, it was Keith Mitchell, of all people, because he's, he's sort of been the glue that held my career together. What, what were your impressions working with him?
1: He's a mensch, right? I mean, he's just a wonderful right. man who, you know, will take, he'll take criticism before the announcers. He, you know, if, if someone on his crew makes a mistake, he'll handle it. And he'll say, it starts with me, and then he'll go, and he'll try to deal with it. And, you know, you know, trying to make sure that you capture all of the right camera angles to make sure that the fans aren't missing anything. I mean, we started our first match in all elite wrestling was about a, what, a 30-minute battle royale, yes, you know, sir. with rules that have never been done before? I mean, you know, think about the challenges that come with film, them we hit the ground running, and then, you know, as, thing, as time went on, things leveled out. But the other thing with Keith now, and, and this is, you know, look, the industry has changed. There's so many great athletic maneuvers done by our performers at All Elite Wrestling, you know, and across the industry, of course. How do you capture it? You know, and that was the thing that I think really stood out about Keith. You know, listen, some people may have been turned off. I don't know how many. I don't think there was a huge backlash. But, you know, Dustin, as he's bleeding, I mean, it can get hard to watch. I mean, it, it's sort of cringe-inducing, right? But Keith was there capturing it, showing, you know, the, the crimson mask, so to speak, uh, that, that, you know, Dustin was sporting in his match against Cody. You know, catching the Scorpio Sky, you know, uh, Scorpio Sky rather, flying through the air the way that he did on a Topic on Hero, you know, onto OWE. That was amazing work. I mean, he's great. But, you know, it's funny, too, because Keith will tell you, I'm getting back in the swing of this, right? I mean, this was, again, our first show. And I thought he was, I mean, really one of the unsung heroes out of all this because he is the glue that keeps announcers together. He tells us we're going to be doing a standup shot. We're going to be doing something, you know, pay attention to this. We need to go to this promo, throw to it. Those types of things. He is our traffic cop, the the top traffic cop talking with people, you know, behind the scenes, you know, communicating to Jim Ross, who is our, our leader, you know, as, soon as uh, double or nothing began he's got to communicate to jim here's what we want you to do and then jim can trickle it down to us so you know we need that symmetry and i think that we we went a long way toward laying the foundation you know for, on for that at double or nothing
0: sure uh, you could imagine you know and i don't know if this I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't happen for you once you guys get on tnt of all places talk about a a, a circle of life but um uh but but back in the day when we were doing nitro and uh we didn't have scripts because they were writing them as we were going you can imagine keith mitchell's in the back and he's he's basically organ he's telling me in my ear who to announce he's telling the the announcers who's coming out what order they're coming out what 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 the angle is and and uh you know this is live television and he doesn't have a script and he's getting information and passing it on is it was, it was crazy and uh and uh, but I hope that I hope you guys uh, never have to uh, to deal with, uh, with that. With You're
1: right. You yeah, but, but I think a script. Well, see, Dave, I think that's the benefit of the business plan. That you know, one of them that, that Tony Khan has built for all Elite Wrestling. Because as of right now, we're scheduled to be on television once a week, starting this fall, and I don't have any. I don't have any information, and I'm waiting for it. Trust me. But you know, what night are we going to be on? What night during the week? When do we start? But we're not planning to run, you know, as of right now, and I don't know if even in the future, an extensive house show schedule. We're planning on, you know, episodic television once a week and then with pay-per-view sprinkled in here and there. That is our our plan ahead in the future. And I think that would allow, you know, lead time rather than could you imagine, you know, trying to write while you're also balancing all the other things going on and working a full-time road schedule. I mean, that, that's just too much, I think, for anybody. I think that's going to benefit us. You know, less, I think, with All Elite Wrestling, less is going to be more, to be quite honest with you. Let me give you an example. If, if we have a, a Monday Night Raw-type show after a pay-per-view like we did, you know, on May 25th, well, people aren't talking as much about the pay-per-view, right? Instead, they're going to be talking about what happened on Monday and the follow-up. You know, that, what we did is still resonating throughout the pro wrestling world five, six days later because that's the only product we have presented, if that right. makes sense. And that's how we want it to be each week on TV. Oh, my gosh, we have to tune in next week to see what happened the previous week, much like you and I growing up with Championship Wrestling from Florida.
0: Absolutely. My kids um, are big wrestling fans. My oldest has been a wrestling fan for a while. My youngest just got back into it, and he actually is the one that ordered the pay-per-view. I'm sitting at a, uh, at a dueling pianos deal in uh, 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 Newport, Richie, where my son just uh, uh, took a new job at a brand-new restaurant. And uh and I'm looking on social media kind of following along with the show and uh, and and my youngest, who was never a wrestling fan, but just sort of kind of got back into it, texted me and he said, "Are you watching Double or nothing?" And I said, "No, I'm going to watch it tomorrow." And he said, I said, "Are you?" And he said, "Yeah." I said, "You bought it." He said, "Yeah." I said, "Are you with friends?" he said, "No." I, I, I looked at my wife I said what world are we living in? But but he's but he's interested, and 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 he he's not a fan of the WWE product. My son is a NXT fan, but not a fan of W of the actual WWE product. And they're both really interested. This is actually the first pay per view, maybe ever, that all three of us what have watched. Not at the same time, but all three of us watched, and uh, so that sh- should show you how 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 far outreaching. Your product is becoming and people just want an alternative. But the the moral of my story is they keep saying, you know, oh, if they, you know, if they could do this, you know, if they could put on shows like this, they're going to be bigger than WWE. And I just keep telling them, look, the pay-per-view is great. They got great talent, a great mix of talent. But putting that television on every single week, making it, uh, you know, uh, episodic, that's going to be I'm not saying they can't do it, but that's going to be the make it or break it. And if they could do that with what they did, like on one of these one of pay-per-views or these being the elite episode that they have on, on YouTube, then you guys are going to be uh, a big deal. And I, and I think, I think you will be, but it's not going to be proven true or false until like you said, you have to do it every week on live television.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, all these comparisons to WWE to me are, are just, uh, it's apples and oranges. I mean, yeah. they, listen, they, you know, that, they're a multi-billion dollar company with a proven track record of success, the deepest talent roster of anybody in the history of professional wrestling, every single stream that you could imagine to, to monetize, worldwide reach. I, I mean, you know, and, and hours and hours of television. I get that. But that's not to say there can't be a niche for all elite wrestling sure. and, and see where this takes us. And then the question becomes, listen, I think you, I mean, listen, you lived it. What was the death knell of WCW in a lot of ways? Thursday well, night, I- I, it, right?
0: I, I well, That was part of it. The egos were part of it. The contracts were part of it. The overspending was part of it. But it's ironic that you say that because I was going to tell you yesterday, my oldest son said, uh, so do you think Vince is freaking out? And I said, no, not at all. And he said, why? And I said, why would he? He said, well, because that company, they're still talking about the pay-per-view. Like you said, they're talking about the matches. People are still talking about it all over social media. And I said, Jarrett, I said, when you were a young kid we were under the impression at one point that we were putting WWE out of business. They were they were taking the water coolers because they couldn't <clears> afford to put the water the water coolers in the office. I said that's how bad it was there. I said, but then he came up with the Attitude error. Who'd have thought? Because because my son said, well, what is he going to do? His product is stale. I said, competition is the best form of 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 making lighting a fire under somebody's rear end. And so. Yeah, I'm with you guys. If 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 you guys could just be a profitable niche product, that is all that you need to be, and let it go from there. God bless. Yeah, I mean those and there's and what's nice is now you, I think there's like two
1: caliber of wrestling fans. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Dave, because uh, I, I, and I'm not being sarcastic when I say this. I, I, I live a very myopic life. You know, working as much as I do, and I just don't. I, I you know I get out and I see normal people. Don't get me wrong, but you know I'm not mingling among the masses a lot of times because I'm working. So I feel like there's a, a, an all-elite wrestling fan, a sort of a, a right now, a, a as of right now, more of a hardcore type of wrestling fan or a fan that explores things on the Internet or someone that, that loves the industry enough that they're either going to keep supporting WWE and are willing to support another product – or, or you know, that type of person. And then I also feel, too, what WWE has are mainstream fans. They have sure. people that, you know, people that just casually watch and say, oh, hey, look, there's Brock Lesnar. Oh, I know Roman Reigns, or I know John Cena. You know, those types of folks who have mainstream appeal. And this is, and they're also programmed that every Monday night, they know that Monday Night Raw is on. They may not, you know, and, and the numbers show, they may not watch for, you know, more than 20 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. You know, this is the type of attention span that we have nowadays. Or maybe you're invested in everything, but they still tune in once in a while. They still probably click in a couple, you know, a couple times during Monday night, to watch it and when you say you know you you talk to you know young people well we're going to go to wrestling you don't really say wrestling now you say we're going to go to wwe and they've effectively marketed themselves as that and kudos to them for that you know what their next step is how much they respond you know to us let me just say this too it is interesting when you read the reports about stephanie mcmahon mentioning all elite wrestling specifically in the locker room trying to give a pep talk to to raise what apparently is rock bottom morale among some of their talent right i do find that interesting but it's ways to motivate and if it leads like you say high tide raises all boat if this leads to a better product you know from the from the wwe and when i say better i don't watch it so i can't really say better but one that seems to connect more and grow their audience which has been dropping off on television and you know still pretty good with the subscription service but there's a lot of reasons for that but my, my point is that's great you know because we want to see the entire industry flourish we'd love to see you know everyone make money and really not even it's not even so much the i mean for, yes it is the money but it's also just the love of pro wrestling right and to, to watch that show if you like pro wrestling if you love pro wrestling i mean that show was you know mana for the soul that had everything I, I have to give credit to the way that the show was formatted of course the guys in the ring delivered and we knew that they would i don't think we had questions about that but it built to a crescendo right and i think one of the smartest things was after Cody and Dustin, you know, you took a break. We had the title presentation with Bret Hart. It was something different. It allowed everyone to catch their breath. You know, you know, what do they call that, the uh, the suicide spot or, or the match that, you know, you put on before the main event to, to chill everybody out? They always put on some drek and it's just not very good, or fans are disinterested in it. I thought it was so smart to just take a break and, you know, let's re- press the reset button after Cody and Dustin, which I'm still not recovered from, so it was so amazing, present the title belt and then get the action going back in the ring. I think there's something to be said for that as well. The way that the product flowed, you know, the other night for, for the first time, you know, I, I just don't know what more we could have done to make the experience any better. I am so proud of everybody there. I'm proud of our announced team. I just, I, I really thought it was an incredibly special night, but I'm still buzzing from six days later.
0: A couple of points I want to make. And, uh, and then I want to go uh, back to 2016 and kind of follow up on that real quick before we run out of time with you. But, um, a couple of, of points that you made. I had Eric Bischoff on the, uh, on the podcast about a year ago, maybe, uh, eight months ago. And one of the things I always wanted to ask Eric is, and I got to ask him on the podcast because he used to have these pep talks with us. WWF is, that, is going out of business. They're taking the water coolers. we they're going to be done. And I said to him, I said, what was your plan? What was the plan if WWF closed down? What was, what was the next step? And he said, he laughed and he said, I never had one. He said, if I'm being honest all these years later, I was just using that shit to motivate everybody. He said, yeah. I was just trying to stay motivated myself. Uh, I was exhausted and trying to motivate the guys. We we're running a million miles an hour. And I never in my mind did I even pause and think about what if WW, what if they really did go out of business? So when you talk about Stephanie, you know, using AEW to motivate their, 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 uh, their, their locker room, you know, it sort of reminded me of uh, Eric's answer is, you know, Anything that they could do because they're going a million miles an hour to motivate. The only thing, the other, the other thing I noticed about the pay per view, and not saying that, uh, you took anything off of, uh, Nitro, but it's very Nitro esque. There was comedy spots in the beginning, in the Battle Royal. There was, uh, Lucha stuff, obviously. There was, um, uh, you know, the Chinese, uh, tag team, which is, uh, sort of a new style of wrestling with, uh, Seema and his guys and, uh, SCU. There was uh, there was women. There was Japanese women. There was Mexicans. There was uh, I, I, there was there was Japanese talent. I mean, it was it was a little bit of everything. And the only difference, really, between WCW product at its height, and and, and maybe I'm just a WCW mark because that's where I made my my uh, living, so to speak. But the only difference is the main main problem with w, WCW was always the main events couldn't live up to the undercard. Because we have, we're using so many of the legendary wrestlers that were, uh, older, older at that point. And, and you guys were able to the main event because you guys have, you know, younger talent and Jericho, you know, may not in age, may not be, uh, younger, but, uh, the guy never ages when it comes to what he's able to do in the ring and, and, uh, and on the microphone. But, uh, so I don't know. Did you notice that at all? It was a little nitro-esque. It was, you know, and
1: I will say this. I think maybe the big, one of the bigger differences, you know, remember too, Nitro was taking place in day-day really before the internet was avant garde, right? So you didn't have an easy way to Thank access. Thank God.
0: It. You know, well, yes and no. Because Can think about it. you imagine how if, bad we'd have gotten hammered? We got hammered anyway. Could you imagine how bad we'd have gotten hammered? Well, you would have gotten hammered, but, you know, you talk about educating
1: a fan base, though, right? And, you know, you think about how, like, being the elite, for example, how, the, you know, really the, the, the very, very first seed planet, that got this going was a series of guys on the road and Matt and Nick, you know, you know, chronicling their adventures, chronicling their families. And you got to know the people in there. See, I think the thing that really helped too, is that, you know, our audience was so amazing at double or nothing. It was a very respectful crowd. You didn't get, you know, smart ass chance during the matches. You didn't get homophobic chance during the matches. You, you let guys, you, they, the fans wanted to be there and and be entertained and appreciated the work of the people in the ring. And they had an idea of who these guys are. It's easy now to type in If you don't know who Trent and Chuck are the best friends, right? You go to Wikipedia, boom, there you are. And and now you know who they are. Could you imagine if there would have been a built-in audience for the luchadors in, in, you know, WCW or, or some of the other performers that went along the way. And I think that's where it benefits. It just, it's, it's like I say, it's more of a niche, Type product in that regard because we do appeal to hardcore wrestling fans. Some of them, you know, it was my first time seeing on Helico and Jack Evans is a tag team. But I know for some people they'd already seen them. You know, it was because it's it's a hardcore audience that was inside the arena. What I love though is that I think the product was so good that you know the people that we did draw that that you know we were appealing to in a lot of ways. Like, look, if you love pro wrestling and and what they're giving you today isn't good, give us a try. I think that's where we hit the home run because you had. Some young talent that really hasn't, you know, gained a ton of exposure yet really start to shine and show, wow, these are guys who are going to be the stars of the future. You know, MJF, Hangman Page, you know, people like this who, who really stepped up their game merging, you know, or meshing rather with established stars like Chris Jericho, like Kenny Omega. And it's amazing. Kenny Omega and all this, by the way, think about it. The most valuable free agent in professional wrestling, you know, in 2018, no question about a wrestling observer, wrestler of the year, all of those things. I mean, the guy's brilliant. He's sort of an afterthought in a way coming out of the show, right? Because we had John Moxley, because you have Chris Jericho, because of Cody and Dustin, because of the Bucks, uh, you know, taking on the Lucha Brothers, because of the title belt picture, all of these things, you know, the, the triumphant return of Jr. on a big time stage, all of these things become bigger stories in a way than Kenny Omega, which I think is great because it allows us to, to refocus on Kenny and he doesn't get stale. That's a nice thing too. Look at what's coming up at Fighter Fest in December. I'm sorry, June 29th in Daytona Beach, Florida. You know, the main event right now. Is John Moxley squaring off against the bad boy Joey Janella? This is a chance for Joey Janella to share the stage with a guy like John Moxley. You're giving younger performers a chance to shine. You know, and while Moxley's going to enter that, that match as a big time favorite, and, and as well he should, it, it, allows, it allows Joey Janella to continue to expand his career being put in such a position against John Moxley. That's what I love so much about uh, the way this company works. We're not. I believe our mission, and we're going to have former WWE you know, wrestlers, and that's great. And look, a lot of people in our management know other wrestlers. They respect their talent. They'd love to have them with our company. But I think the key long term in our success is developing our own stars. And that's what I'm so excited about because these guys have a true eye for talent. And I think that's where you're going to see some of the folks that, you know, like that are undiscovered on the main stage, you know, really come out and provide a new element to professional wrestling and, and build themselves uh, anew. And I think that's the nice part. And it's organic. It's not scripted. These are people that, you know, they, they talk, you know, they, they know where they want to take their, their character. They know how they want to perform and, you know, they're able to get it done. So that, that's another thing that's really exciting about it. You know, the freshness of the roster that we've assembled at All Elite.
0: Now, the interviews were refreshing. The promos, uh, without, you know, you could tell they're not scripted. I've always said the most, the best, I've said on this podcast since the first one, the best stuff in professional wrestling is the stuff that's organic, the stuff that you can't predict. And quite frankly, I didn't think that Dustin versus, uh, Cody was gonna, was gonna be, uh, uh, uh what it was. I, I had, I total crow on that one. Uh, usually, brother versus brother, uh, tag team partner versus tag team partner, rock and roll versus rock and roll, or road warrior versus road warrior. Uh, usually, people for whatever reason don't really care as much as you'd think that they do because they're almost they almost like the bond, and when the bond is broken. But the way they told the story and and uh, and the way that that match went, that I was the first one to say I was a thousand percent wrong. That match is one of the best matches of. Of the decade, quite frankly, it was amazing. Well, I mean, if watched- they,
1: well, it started from the beginning, right? Like where Cody breaks the throne, you know, and, and you know the symbolism involved in that. It has the belt, you know, his weight belt says attitude killer. And it wasn't just brother versus brother, it was generation versus generation. That was the layer added to this match that really brought it to another level. And, you know, Dustin, you know, the, is this his final match? Is it one last ride? And it's his younger brother trying to put him out to pasture. And then for, you know, heart, and, and that's a simple story for wrestling fans to understand casual wrestling fans right but then you start getting to more hardcore wrestling fans and they understand that cody and dustin you look they didn't grow up in the same household together they had huge shoes to fill following the american dream dusty roads and how that all played out they're aware of cody's frustrations when he was working for wwe they're aware of, of gold Dust. You know the former Goldust, trials and tribulations while he was a WWE performer, and then becomes you know Dustin Rhodes now trying to reinvent himself again. And you know the guys showed up in incredible shape. By the way, I mean how excellent did everyone look? You know physically and and how much time and commitment they put into that. But I, I thought that's where it was, and these guys can still wrestle ultimately what it comes down to right as great as the characters are the performances are you got to be able to go in the ring and that's the thing that that's the you know the backbone of all elite wrestling the fact that our in-ring product is going to be better or at least as good as anybody in the entire world because of the roster we've assembled
0: all right so this is like two friends talking about a a, a new company and that basically we'd probably have the same exact conversation if we were just talking on the phone or having a drink uh as opposed to doing a uh uh, a podcast uh which i think is one of the cool parts of getting to do a podcast but i do want to get back before we run out of time 2016 you're at uh you're in long beach california tony khan looks at you and says i'm starting a wrestling company um, i want you to be the play-by-play guy what was going through your head and and what was the in you know not step by step but what was the evolution of of what now is AEW?
1: I'm just going to do a quick correction. 2017 was a new show. And then oh, after that, so. it's okay. I just want to make sure for the record, you know, because, you know, because you do always want to make sure that things are right, but that's fine. Gotcha. Uh, you know, and then after that, uh, you know, Tony, as time went on, was, was looking at doing a wrestling company and started to run numbers. And look, you know, Tony, obviously his family, you know, has money. But they're not, you know. There's a reason they have money. They don't give it away on endeavors where they're not going to be able to make money. This isn't a vanity project for Tony. He really loves professional wrestling and believes that he can, you know, carve his own niche in the business world, you know, based upon the way that he would promote this this product and do it. But everything had to fall into place. I mean, there was, you know, you know, we we talk about how the stars aligned. I mean, without Cody, without the Bucks, without Jericho, without Omega you know, all of their contracts basically coming due at the same time, what would we have? I mean, you know, that was what made this whole thing touch and go. So I really was in sort of disbelief. I, I never, you know, Dave, one of the things that I've learned as I've gotten older because I was on TV for FS1 in 2013 and I would let stuff build up in my head, uh, you know, pressuring myself and, oh, my God, this is what I look like on camera. And, you know, oh, my God, you know, how does it, you know what I'm saying? All these things that, that you can get wrapped up in negativity and or self-doubt. And I didn't let that happen this time when he told me that my feeling was, okay, if this actually comes to pass and it, you know, it really, to me, I didn't realize this had come to pass until I arrived in Jacksonville for our rally in January. I almost thought it was this elaborate rib right? That was going on and that this is really like, this isn't going on and I'm going to get there and it's going to be like when Norman Smiley was brought to an old championship wrestling from Florida show by Tyree pride. And Tyree says that he can get him a job and he leaves Norman sitting in the parking lot friendless. You know what I mean? That type of thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, really like, like just, this is some cruel rib that that's happening to me here and that there's no way they would let me announce why who's, you know, what are you kidding? That type of thing. But after that, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, so, At that point, with Tony and his trust in me and and earning Cody's trust, and, you know, again, talking to Jericho and guys like this, you know, I knew how much work I had to put in, so I tried to do as best I could, you know, before the show. You know, trying to, you know, I did lists of moves, so what moves are known to what wrestlers to try to get a feel for that so when something happened in a match I could explain it. You know, doing their their personal background a little bit. Why did they get into pro wrestling? What are some of the neat things that they were involved in? And quite honestly, you know, putting a, a match on mute, And watching New Japan Wrestling and calling those matches or going on the internet and scouting the people whose matches I would be calling. That served as as a tremendous help. But like you said earlier, and you know better than anybody, brother, unless you do it yourself, there is no way to simulate what you're going to be doing in front of 12,000 people on the most important pro wrestling show our company has. And, you know, because that was it. Because if that show was a bomb, where, where are we at right now? with all elite. Yeah. No, buzz, like no, no, pressure. No, right. no pressure, no pressure at pressure all. At all. <laughs> but you know what? And But I give. listen, I, I give Jim and Excalibur a lot of credit for helping to diffuse it. They were tremendous with me. Cody was unbelievable throughout. And you know, the one thing about all elite wrestling and people sincerely like each other, like, like I you know, I, and, and, you know, we, you know how far back I go and I know how far back you go. And I'm not saying that we're going to all be singing Kumbaya forever. And, and, you know, forming a drum circle and all that, but, I've never been in an environment in pro wrestling, and I have been backstage a decent amount. I've never been around a place where people actually liked each other. There was no heat with anybody. People were trying to help each other. They were complimentary. They were positive. I mean, this was one of the most uplifting places you've been, and it really made it easier. You know, I, I mean, to, you know, to try to just keep all the stuff out of my head, the pressure I, I was putting myself under, you know, who is this guy type of stuff that you think, if you start to think about all of those outside things, Davey, I, I'd be paralyzed. I'd be paralyzed if I made a mistake. I'd have self-doubt creeping in. I, don't, I couldn't let that happen. So while, you know, again, I, there are things that we learned from the first match, and this was the first time I'd really worked in earnest with Excalibur. On my first show, first time doing this sort of thing, to where we were at the end, that's what I'm happy. And I'm still in the process of, of reviewing the show. I've watched snippets here and there. I'm actually going to start backwards and, and, you know, watch it to the end first because I'll be happy with that. And then as I go back, and I listen to the show throughout, I'll continue to see things like, did I improve this? Do I need to improve this? These types of things. Because again, I want, I want fans to have fun listening to all elite wrestling, the commentary. I want them to enjoy it. I want, the, I want it to enhance the matches. I can't express that enough. I don't want to take away from anything going on in the ring based upon you know ignorance on my part, poor delivery, or not trying to improve. And I feel like at the end of the day, the effort that I put in, the talent that I bring to the position is going to help me become a really quality wrestling announcer. I'm working to get there. I've got an incredible crew around me. And I think ultimately that's what's going to, that's what's going to happen. But I'm not beating myself up over anything that happened on Saturday night. I'm proud of what I did. And I mean, for you know my first pro wrestling show four hours and 45 minutes without a net. I, I mean, look, I, I survived it. No one's complaining, saying that we st- we're never going to order again because this guy's on the mic. It, it really, I can take a lot of solace of that.
0: Yeah. And you guys are still trying to find y'all's place. You know, Jr is obviously the, the leader, but you know, you're all trying to, you know, there's three voices all trying to tell a story and, It'll take a little bit of time for you guys to find, you know, get a little bit of a chemistry, and you could tell as the night built, you guys started finding that chemistry for sure. I was thinking, you know, it was funny. I was on um, Twitter yesterday, and somebody put up a picture and said, "Does anybody know who these guys are?" Sort of like a contest. And I wrote Todd Champion and Firebreaker Chip, the Patriots. And I got back to think. I got back to thinking they the first show that I that I was ever did on um, the syndicated WCW Pro that I ever ring announced. They were on the show, and I I got back to thinking about how nervous I was. Totally, I wrote down every and you can't do this in your gig because uh, you'd have fourteen pads of paper. But I wrote down every word I was going to say, not only every word of in the introductions, every word I was going to say to the audience. I wrote down everything, and I was petrified. And 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 you know I I look there's there's uh, much there's much more famous ring announcers than I. Uh, I just had a small bit in a in a big time in this business and uh but but I look but I can honestly say that I look back and and I probably improved a thousand percent so that's why I was so I was so, I'm not kissing your ass cuz you're on my show or you're my friend and that's why I was so impressed with 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 what job you did cuz it might not have been perfect and 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 I didn't really listen to it thinking that it was going to be perfect but I I listened to it and I thought to myself if this is where he started on his first show, like you said, without a net, with a ton of pressure, it's, the sky's the frickin' limit. So congratulations. And, you know, I'm glad you're not letting, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're saying about you. I don't really follow it. I'm sure there's some good, there's some bad. You can't please everybody, but I was impressed. Hey, one, one question I wanted to ask you. Um, if there was no, uh, Cody and Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, do you think that, Uh, you'd still be working for a wrestling company owned by uh, Tony Khan or do you think one was dependent sort of not dependent but one sort of fell together with another like those two came together and that's why it happened
1: yeah I think those two came together that's why it happened I I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing in pro wrestling if, if it weren't for the fact that, that Tony was able to assemble this incredible roster of people and, and make it work, you know, with a business plan that indicated here's what we can do. And knowing that Tony already had some inherent resources uh, that, you know, be, due to his, his company's business holdings that we could tap into to, to help, you know, with the product, you know, and that's the tough part for upstart wrestling companies, you know, without infrastructure, there's so many things. And, and Dave, you know, this better than anybody, you know, that, that you don't even think about right? That, that, you know, that, oh my gosh, well, we need this, we need that, you know, and then you start to look at the bill and it starts to add up. I mean, you know, let alone paying talent and things like that, but how much things cost. And, you know, it's like why, you know, people say, well, why isn't there a successful upstart professional football league, you know, like a spring football league? I mean, you just saw the Alliance of American football blow through tens of millions of dollars and go out of business right away. And that's why Vince McMahon, one of the reasons he's cashed in, you know, upwards of $278 million in WWE stock is that he knows he needs a deep wart vest, you know, to stabilize before you can really start making money. So I think that was the case. Listen, Tony would have dreamed about a pro wrestling company, you know, and and would have probably pursued it in other ways, maybe down the line. But things had to make sense, you know, for all elite wrestling had to make sense from from who's going to help run the company you know, uh, in terms of of the performers and who we had as our headliners. And then, you know, his ability to help us, you know, get a television contract and all the hard work that he did in that regard and opening doors. But, you know, it's hard to open doors if you don't have some, some quality people. So that's the nice part about it. But you're right. I mean, instead, you know, Memorial Day weekend passes, I'm probably just drinking beer by my pool, you know, after my radio shift, rather than announcing for any sort of wrestling company. That's, that's one of the huge things that's happening again, a, t- a true blessing in my life and a challenge. Dave, I, I mean, I couldn't, I had to take this. I, I couldn't live my life saying, what if? I couldn't put on an all elite wrestling pay-per-view show. I, if I would have ordered Double or Nothing and I see someone else in the spot where I could have been, you can't. You know, I just, that's not how I'm wired. I mean, I could be, you know, I could live complacently and just be comfortable in the NFL world and, and, you know, just keep doing what I'm doing and live my life like that. But then it just, that it's creeping like, well, what if you would have done this? What if you would have had this? I mean, how many people are as blessed as I am to have the opportunity to call Jericho and Omega Cody against Dustin? My voice is going to forever be on this pay-per-view show. My contribution to pro wrestling history. I mean, and, and I get sort of goosebumpy thinking about it. It truly is special, and I, I'm cynical, I'm jaded in a lot of ways, but this, had bring, this has brought out so many good things about me and my enthusiasm level and my excitement for the product. And the amazing part is, we've had one show. The best is yet to come.
0: Yep. Yeah, uh, and your and your your other job didn't suck either. I remember texting you one time, and uh, when and you were like, uh, I'll have to get back to you. I'm on stage at the NFL Hall of Fame ceremony. Yes. And I looked at my wife. I showed my wife and I'm like, oh, it's, it's like nonchalant. Like, oh, you know, okay, sorry. Tomorrow I'm going to be at the Oscars hosting. So we'll have to get together when our schedules, uh, uh, meet. But, uh, but yeah, like I said, you, you get, you getting to live two dreams. Uh, and, uh, c- you know, it's almost an impossibility, but, uh, congratulations. And we're going to follow your, uh, your career and your new career and, uh, your, your new company. Uh, when did you know that John Moxley was coming in?
1: Uh, when did I know he was coming in? He was coming down the stairs, right? You know what I mean? Did you, did, did you I, not you know, know until you— well, well, the whole thing about it is, listen, you know, Jack Swagger, you know, let the cat out of the bag a little bit. I think there, there was a feeling that something was going to be big at the end. But when, when Jim Ross says that he was unaware that John Moxley was coming there, he is 100% telling the truth. And, and I think that's what helped. You know, Jim, you know, listen, while, while we understand pro wrestling— Jim doesn't, Jim wants to have an air of surprise about him as well. You know, he doesn't want to be caught off guard. You know, he, he can have an idea. Okay. Maybe this match is. you know, like he's, he's always said it undertaker and Mick Foley, you know, odds were that the undertaker was going to win that match. It would be a pretty darn big upset if Mick Foley, you know, won that match, but you know, it wasn't like Jim wanted to know at first, he didn't want to know what the finish was. Second, he also didn't know that undertaker's throwing Mick Foley off the top of a cage, right? And, and you, you heard that in his call sure. and there is something to be said for spontaneity. So I think that was the exciting part about Jim. And, and, you know, look, I mean, I learned so much from him already and I just, I was so excited. His energy level was fantastic. The, the guy, you know, he can call action. He just draws you into the match. His experience, he's been there and done that. Right. And I mean, his history with the Rhodes family, for example, you know, Cody Dustin, I mean, that's a textbook example of how to call a pro wrestling match. He was just he was so on the mark. And you know, not that he was not on the mark on the other ones. But uh, to me, that's one of the things that, you know, Dustin has thanked him on social media saying hey you know I, I am appreciative of jim of jim calling this match and i just think that if this is the jim ross and i expect it to be the jim ross that we're going to get a very motivated jim ross who himself didn't want to get put out to pasture if you will i think it's just going to sure. be vote so well for our company
0: sure absolutely 100 and uh and and you know it's funny you talk about him not wanting to know i there's only one uh monday night raw that i watched live and that's the one after WrestleMania cuz you never know who's going to show up and who they're going to debut and who's going to walk out and the live audience is always uh you know rowdy and so it's it's the unpredictability uh and that the almost the feeling that you have to watch it live and 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 you know when you have a guy like John Moxley uh running out uh, and, 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 especially if there's a lot of people in the company that didn't know. I was in a company where almost at the end of every Monday night, some, ha- somebody came out that I wasn't expecting to come out. And it was always fun. Uh, you know, it's fun, you know, be, all of us are here because we were fans. There's very few of us who, who who'd have this passion because of the money. Uh, money's good most of the time, but you know, but we're here because we're fans. And so the inner fan wants to see, Wants to go back to 1987 and walk around and follow Bru- uh, Bruiser Brody and the Sheik right. as, they, as they as they as they as they brawled throughout the Miami Beach Convention Center, and I think they stayed in the ring for about 10 seconds, and uh, and that was it. But uh, so cool stuff. Uh, congratulations to you. Uh, the um, what is the uh, the show in um, Jacksonville? Is that a pay per view? We got a couple of things coming up. We got.
1: Fighter Fest on, on June 29th Fest, I know. And, and that's you know going to you know got a lot of good stuff coming up there then on July 13th the Fight for the Fallen uh, proceeds will be going to uh, benefit victims of gun violence a very important situation there in Jacksonville when you consider the uh, the tragedy that took place, the shooting at the video game uh, you know tournament that took place uh, near sure. near the near you know the TIA Bank Stadium. So that's that's a big show. You know we got Kenny Omega squaring off against Shima, which is great. Kenny trying to get back on the winning track, of course. And we've got Allie against Brandy Rhodes. That's been announced. A couple other bells and whistles coming up as well on that one. And then All Out coming up August 31st in Chicago, tied into the Starcast. convention that's happening so we're returning to the site of all in uh, to have all out and then after that i I believe our next big show would be our debut still tba to to come up on uh on tnt so you know the summer summer's going to get awfully busy uh, really quick, when you, you know, now we're going to be running, you know, three shows, uh, you know, coming up in a two month span. So it's not like we, you know, we don't have as much planning time as we did before, but I, I feel confident the guys have a real vision about where they want to take this. And, you know, we've got a number of different places that we can go, uh, you know, with storylines, etc., at All Elite Wrestling coming off a double or nothing. And see, that's a nice part, too, as an announcer. Now we have a little bit more to draw upon when it comes to history, storylines, you know, where we're taking things, you know, now that we actually have the product in, in front of us tangible real matches that have taken place and we are no longer just a t-shirt company.
0: I like that no longer just a t-shirt company We're actually the boss Jerry Petuck and I are thinking about coming up to Jacksonville so you'll have to give me the number of how I get a, a press pass for uh, for that so we could uh, get some uh, some interviews for the, for the uh, podcast for sure but uh, but uh, thinking about doing that and I just just something funny just dawned on me and then i will let you go and, and just funny how the world works. Uh, I was at Starcast last year, and I did not go to All In, and I had to leave early. And do you know? Do you know where I? I flew right into Tampa and drove over overnight. And do you know where I was? No. I was at the what was supposed to be at least the final Leonard Skinner concert at the TIAA Bank Stadium. Oh my goodness. The same. The same night as All In. That's so. So it's, I don't know. That's just, it's one of those unique coincidences that you really can't explain, but, uh, and, and now, now, uh, they're coming back there and, and we hope to come and check it out if, uh, if we're welcome and, uh, have, maybe have a beer or two at uh, red river Pete's with Keith Mitchell. And hopefully you'll join us as well. Hey, thank you so much. I know your time is extremely busy and extremely valuable. Uh, good work. Keep up the good work. You could, uh, things will only get better. And, uh, and, uh, uh really appreciate your time
1: thanks Dave for giving me the forum to uh to talk about my experience with all elite wrestling great hearing your voice once again my friend of course excellent podcast keep up the hard work yourself and I'll see you in Jacksonville
0: well, I'll give a big thank you to Alex Marvez uh you know that was like two. if we if we had a conversation on the phone uh talking about his experience uh this past weekend or last weekend and uh, that's what it would sound like. I had a part of me didn't even want to write any notes, just wanted to talk to him like an old friend. But I, I wrote a whole bunch of notes down. Uh, we covered a couple of those things. Some of them we didn't get a chance to. Uh, some of them he hit before I got a chance to ask him about them. But uh, kind of funny that uh, he didn't realize that the whole thing was uh, was was really taken off until and that he was part of it until he walked out at that press conference and I was surprised to see him, quite frankly. I did not know that he was involved in the company. It makes sense as he uh, covers the Jacksonville Jaguars and uh, lives close to uh, to Jacksonville. And, of course, he's friends with Tony Khan. I didn't know that at the time, but I didn't know Tony Khan was a wrestling fan at the time. I, I was talking to Brian Knobs the other day, and we had done a uh, uh, Legends of Wrestling thing. It was not matches. It was a, a question and answer and meet and greet with Ric Flair and Jim Duggan and a bunch of guys. Uh, at uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars and um, I, I look back and wonder if that was a Tony Khan uh, thing. He said, "Hey, let's get the Legends of Wrestling to come out," because uh, I did not know at the time he's such a big wrestling fan. But uh, uh, if I I'm, would imagine, if he was in town, he was he was there and probably got to say hello to him. Didn't even realize it. So. Uh, but uh, looking forward maybe to going to Jacksonville in July. I'm going to try to make that happen, and uh, we'll get as much, if we get there, we'll get as much inside information and interviews and and sound from that uh, as possible for the listeners here on City Ringside. As always, if you don't follow me on Twitter, hook it up at, at David Penzer, all one word, or at Penzer Ringside. Be sure to uh, check it out. and. If you enjoy the podcast, as we always say, tell your friends and neighbors, spread the word. Be sure to download, subscribe, and uh, if they let you, leave a uh, uh, review of the podcast. So get all that out of the way. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is David Penzer, still sitting ringside.
1: Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside.
0: You've been Sitting Ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy. Tune in Radio, Google Podcasts, and radioinfluence.com.